This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio with Charlie Dobbin, aided and abetted by yours truly, Dean Holland. How are you this morning, Charlie? I'm hot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hot and sticky and all those wonderful summery things, yeah? smoky well it's overcast it's just been i guess pretty smoky all across most of canada this last week or so unfortunately for the fires the forest fires and anybody who's you know highly impacted so yeah it's a sad thing but um yeah yeah i I don't recall uh a, a stretch of time like this before in my life where it has been so smoky i remember coming out of the uh, radio studio about a week ago and just smelling it in the air it smelled yeah. very chemically to me really yeah. interesting yeah yeah no it's been yeah so it's interesting times but uh, certainly thank goodness for ace air conditioning in my house because it's i mean it looks like it's getting a little windier now but it was just still and hot and muggy an hour ago mm-hmm and, and of course, we had up where we are uh, in our area of the woods, we had uh, tornado watches yesterday. Oh, did you? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we were on tornado watch for a couple of hours. And so people had to be careful. And I know somebody who lives in the uh, Singhampton area and they had they had hail yeah, last night. It was becoming very, very ugly and very ominous in the sky. Yeah. Yeah, really. You get those green skies. Did you? So you did get rain yesterday then, obviously. Oh, we did. Yeah, we got a ton of rain yesterday. Yeah, it just came down in buckets uh, in the late afternoon, early evening. And so, yeah, we did get a good dumping of rain, but it, it came down so fast that for a lot of people, I think it was pooling, you know. Right. Yeah. And washing, just washing right off the surface if it's been dry. Yeah. We are, we haven't seen rain in ooh, a while, Yikes. Um, but we're looking forward to some rain maybe in the next few days. So that'll be right. nice. We'll get your rain. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to say just to that end, it's, mm-hmm. it's better when rain comes down slower because when it comes down that fast, the, the earth just does not have enough time to soak it in. Is that right? Exactly right. Yeah, it just washes right down to the out to the lake in your case, or you know, out to the lake in my case as well. Ultimately, yeah. the rain just you want yeah, nice slow steady rain for a couple hours is absolutely the best. Okie dokie. Okay, I'm going to give out the numbers. We would love for you to give us a call if you live in Toronto. The number is four one six three six zero zero seven forty, or anywhere in the province of Ontario. It's a toll free number by calling one eight six six seven forty. 4740. And please let Carlos know if you're a first time caller and we'll give you your garden wings. Would love to do that. Um, and uh, please, our mantra, of course, uh, call often, call early, and please, please, one question per call. Okay. So I think uh, with that, we will, uh, the phone lines are open. We will take our first pause for some, uh, some important messaging and we'll be right back with much more on the garden show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, indeed, we are back here on The Garden Show. And uh, Charlie, without further ado, I I was remiss. I wish to uh, wish you and all the listeners a happy Canada Day. Exactly. No, I just realized, yeah, today's July 1st. Yeah. 
big night for parties and fireworks and being and, and the newest thing, which of course is drone shows, which are much safer and easier on the environment. Right, that's true. I, I yeah, I, I mean, I grew up in the era of fireworks, as did you. I, I there's a real something very special about them. But yes, they do have their uh, their downsides. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Okay, let's go to our first Canada Day caller. We have uh, Elizabeth on the line from Toronto. Welcome to the Garden Show, Elizabeth. Uh, good morning and happy Canada to both of you. I don't Thank know you. which one of my questions are more important, but I'll start with one. The day lilies I have, um, only half of them have started to bloom or show any sign of blooming. And my, I call them July the 4th. Um, lilies. Those are the orange things that keep spreading and spreading, like almost like a weed in my garden. They've actually invaded the, the um, day lilies that haven't bloomed yet. I'm wondering what I have to do. Hmm. That's a pretty tricky the, question, actually. The orange ones that invade, and we call them ditch lilies, because you're right, they do just, they're, they're naturalized now. They were introduced, obviously, from somewhere and have taken over. They, they will uh, crowd out your chosen daylilies, which is probably what's happening now. Your uh, ones that are not blooming, if you try digging them up, you probably find it's solid root. It's all just masses and masses of roots. So what you do, um, it's not, it's very hard, actually. All daylilies are hard to control, even though the chosen ones, much less the uh, the naturalized ones. But it would be just a lot of digging, a lot of digging and removing. And if you want to, yeah, I mean, just keep them, you have to keep them separate. If you're going to allow the ditch lilies on the property, you're going to have to keep them in the ditch. And the chosen daylilies, same thing. Sometimes you do have to dig them up, divide them, separate them. They get overcrowded and then they don't bloom. So what time of year should I do that? Same question, of course. Um, you could do that. Um, the best time would be spring or fall. Um, <clears throat> right now, it's just too hot, both for us to be out working in the garden, but for the plants to be dug up and fooled around with in any big way. Uh, we, if you have to do it now, you do. But generally speaking, when the weather's cooler, the plants come through uh, that kind of uh, experience better, as do we. So do it in the fall? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, fall or spring, either one. Okay. Okay, Thank you. Thank okay. You so much. Oh. Bye bye. Right. Thanks for your yeah. call. Good yeah, luck. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. That what a romantic name, a ditch lily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do they like water too? Is that why? I mean, ditches typically are a little no, bit wet. No, no, they'll grow anywhere. That's they the okay. <laughs> they would be considered an invasive plant. <laughs> they would. Okay. Wow. And as you say, the the roots are very thick, so very hard to. It's a lot of chopping and digging. Well, it's just really hard. I mean, if yeah. you've ever tried to move a daylily and take and not leave any behind, it's very difficult, particularly if they're growing at the base of, say, a tree where mm -hmm. there's roots, because the little tiny bit of daylily root stays behind. And before you know it, it's growing right back in the same spot. Another one. Wow. OK, uh, let's go to Woodbridge now. We have Francesca on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Francesca. <laughs> Good morning, both of you, and happy Canada Day. Thank, Thank you. you. You too. I have a question about uh, beans. The leaf on my beans, they're kind of brown from the bottom. They start to go up. They're, they're like burnt. I don't know what's the problem. I looked at the back of the leaf. There are no bugs. Usually I would see little white flies, the, the little eggs, but there is no bugs. 
But so you I don't know, know what why. I, I, I think you you said it. You said it's like they're burned. They probably yeah, they are, are burned. burned. Yeah. Remember the leaves at the bottom are the older leaves. So if we lose some of our older leaves on any of our plants, we don't really worry too much as long as the growing tips are nice and green. But it is possible that either you watered or it rained and then the sun came out and that bright sunshine uh, could the um, bean leaves are very um, almost like tissue paper. They're, they're not like a leathery leaf. They're a fairly you know soft leaf. Yeah. So they probably yeah. did get burned by the sun. Okay. Anything or they might have, might have been underwatered at one point. Remember with our vegetables, we have to stay on top of the watering. Consistent water, particularly when the plants start to flower and fruit. So, yes, we've got to be you know right on top of keeping the water consistent, not wet. We don't want to keep the plants wet, but we want to make sure that they get some water consistently in order to maximize our, our harvest. Is it better night or early morning? Either one. Personally, I would try early morning because that way the leaves are dry before the sun goes down. And when when leaves are wet on any plants in the dark, they are as the sun goes down and and you know um, it gets dark. The plant is more likely to develop a fungal disease if the leaves are wet. So we try to do all of our watering early in the day. So there's a nice dry leaves going into darkness. Okay, okay good. Question. Yeah, good luck on that, Francesca. That I can't yeah, uh, put the um, salt, the Epsom salt, with water and, and sprinkle on top. Would that work? Uh, well, what is Epsom salts? It's magnesium sulfate. Mm-hmm. Both magnesium and sulfur are required micronutrients by all plants. So you can't, you don't go wrong if you use magnesium sulfate mixed with water. I would not put it directly on the plants. I'd put it on the soil. Um, go to the, there's a great website, the Epsom Salt Council.org, and they list the, um, how much you would use how much salt versus how much water because you don't want to overdo something like that and also remember if you are fertilizing this is going to be extra fertilizer so again you could over fertilize you could overdo it so just be careful about that okay thank you very much for the call there francesca okay uh time for us to take one of those other breaks and we'll be right back with much more on the garden show fur and feathers and bugs of all size there's more going on in the garden than you realize should small creatures become a big problem then you've got the garden show with charlie dobbin exclusively on zoomer radio yes we are back here on this july 1st canada day and uh, we are now in the second half we're starting the second half of the year charlie of course we've got oh, six yeah. months behind us <laughs> good point and it's really summer out there now <laughs> yeah it is. And do you like this weather? I really like, uh, my wife and I both really like the hot and sticky weather. It's not for everybody. No, it's not for me. No. No, I, give me the teens, um, temperatures in the teens. I'm, I'm a happy camper when it's not over 20. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I, a quick question about that, uh, our, one of our last call, I think it was Francesca brought up, about watering. I, I think, you know, as a kid, I remember spraying water very quickly over the lawn or something, and my, and my parents would say, don't do that. It'll burn the leaves. It'll burn the grass. Is there... Mm-hmm. Is that, a, is that a real thing? Okay, so it's one of those things. There's, there's different philosophies on this. Um, but I have seen evidence of water droplets 
they basically turn into little magnifying glasses. If the sun comes out and it's high noon, and the once the water evaporates, there's a little yellow spot left behind. So that yes, you can create damage, you know, you cause damage when there's water on the leaves. And yet the other side of the coin is, but it naturally happens like that in mm-hmm. nature. The rain falls and then the sun comes out and plants aren't burned all the time. And that's true. So it, I think it's got more to do with time of day. Uh, you know, that high noon sun is a very intense sun. Uh, so just be very, very careful about getting any plants wet when it's really hot. And of course, never, ever, ever spray any kind of insecticides or herbicides or any any of your concoctions at high noon, because again, it's really hard on the plants. Okie dokie. Okay, let's go to uh, New Market. Now we have Jean on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Jean. Charlie, I am myself acclaimed your president fan club. I love you, and you have made me a gardener. Thank you. Okay. Oh, my my good. question is, um, I have a clematis, and you told me to cut it right back. Well, I didn't believe you, and I did it right down to the ground, and now I have a plant full of flowers. Thank mm. you. Shocking. <laughs> now, my husband... That's my the husband, way it's supposed to work. Pardon? Sorry, I was just going to say, that's the way it's supposed to work. I'm glad you did it. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> my husband is a farmer, and he has uh, fertilizer for the plants out, or, you know, the crops. And he's been going to, oh, I'll fertilize it. I'll, he never did, and it still bloomed. So, yeah. now, what can I do? I'm going to go and buy my own fertilizer. Um, after it blooms, do I fertilize it, please? Um, okay, so, good question. Um The interesting thing about fertilizers and the manufacturers of fertilizers is they really want you to have a whole shelf in your garage with one fertilizer for the tomatoes, another fertilizer for the clematis, another fertilizer for your roses, you know, another fertilizer for whatever. So uh, I wouldn't do that. I would use a general all-purpose flowering plant fertilizer. So a flowering plant fertilizer will typically have a higher middle number then the, the first number, which is nitrogen, which produces green growth. The middle number is phosphorus, and it contributes to flowering. And then the third number is potassium, and it contributes to strength and, and all-around vigor. So a, a general all-purpose flowering plant fertilizer, like I said, generally has a higher middle number. And I would have that on my shelf, and I would use that for any of my plants that flower, right from my clematis to my shasta daisies to my tomatoes, because at the end of the day, that's what you want you want flowers would you do it now well the best time to fertilize any plants is when they're actively growing so spring is is really important we always want to fertilize everything in the spring or top dress because top dressing is important as well you know good quality organic material around the base of a clematis because clematis wants cool roots and the best way to get that is to provide some good quality uh you know either homemade compost or you know triple mix something that's got some good quality organic matter in it um yeah but you could fertilize now remember we're not going to do any more fertilizing after the end of this month so any fertilizing is happening now throughout july but after that we put all the fertilizers away until next year until next spring except the lawn fertilizers and the vegetable you know the annual stuff yeah yeah Thank you. I really okay. appreciate your show. Bye You're now. You're welcome.
There you go. Okie dokie. So, yeah, it's a bit scary, I think, sometimes to cut down things as as much as we're sometimes told to. But there is a benefit, um, indeed. Uh, Well, case in point right there with uh, Gene. Well, exactly. If you don't, well, you're the same, Dean. You have clematis. Mm-hmm. Did you cut them down like I told you to? I did. Yes, I did. And it was a scary thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> have they grown up as they're supposed yeah. to? Yeah, they're, they're coming back uh, fuller now, which is, uh, yes. you know, and I'm also, I just put them there last year. So I'm also, yeah. um, I'm also being patient. I thought, I think I'm giving them a little bit of time to uh, establish themselves there. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, you're right, you move them around. So it's all about the roots to start with. But you're yeah. right, it's a thicker plant. If you never trim a clematis, it's a straggly thing with, you know, these little straggly vines going up 10 feet with nothing going on except maybe a flower up at the top 10 feet above ground. So you don't want that. You want flowers right from ground all the way to the top. And the way you get that is by chopping them right down. Now, Jean said she cut them right down to the ground. Well, hopefully she was exaggerating. You don't really go right to the ground. You take them down so they're about six inches tall in the okay. spring. Yeah, that's what I did. And and I may have done it a little bit too late. But again, I only moved it there last year. So that's the part B of your conversation is, yeah. uh, I think, with some of those flowers, we keep moving them around and then we never <laughs> give them a chance to establish. Exactly. Oh, you're going to be hosting this show before you know it. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I will never know what you know. <laughs> okay, um, let's go to uh, Diane in Dorchester. She's on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Diane. Hi, happy Canada Day. Um, I, what I have a problem with is, is our lawn. Uh, I've never had it before. We lived there 23 years now, and um, it's, it's uh, not on the whole lawn. It's just here and there, and it's it's almost blue color. And I knew you were going to be asking. Yeah, it's attached to the grass. It is not sticky. And the only way I can get it off is if I hold the blade and kind of drag my fingers up it, and then it will come on my fingers. And it looks like, you know, when you've had a um, match and uh, you get the little bit of black stuff from the match? That's, uh-huh. that's what it looks like, and I don't I don't know what it is. Is it some kind of a parasite, or I I don't know. I don't want it to get through my whole lawn, and I I would like to uh, uh, know um, how I can treat it. Okay, sounds like a fungus. Um, oh, I'm fungus. just checking. Yeah, I mean, part of it is the is the a lot of it when it comes to lawns is our what we can't control the weather. So we've got um, high humidity, obviously high temperatures, and we will often end up with things like fungal diseases. One classic is rust. If you have um, your lawn is kind of it doesn't really look orange to your eye, but if you walk through with white running shoes on, your running shoes will be all orange after you've walked through, and that is rust uh, very very common on what we call cool season grasses so our lawns um, but something black I'm just trying to figure out what you've got going on this black either way usually well, the way it's around kind of, it's sort of a purpley, uh, you know, uh, a purpley color purpley yeah. uh, black blue but when you take it off it's like a charcoal color on my fingers yeah like soot yeah right but again that's <clears throat> that's my point okay. is that it's uh, fungal diseases are superficial, meaning they're on the outside of the plant. You can wipe them off. Powdery mildew is an example. The white powder that we get on the leaves of some of our plants, that's a fungus. So there's lots of different kinds of funguses. But usually, um, okay, so it's not your whole lawn. How much of your lawn? Like how big is your lawn? 
um, well, Mike, how long, how big is our lawn? And it's basically the backyard. Uh, there is st- some in the front. Yeah, 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 we have 10,000 square feet for our lawn. Yes, so lots. Um, yeah, hmm. it is. Do you fertilize your lawn? Did, was it fertilized yeah. this spring at all? Yes, we fertilized it in the spring, and my husband, even like in between, this stuff just came on within the last two weeks, and we have fertilized since. Uh, oh, and this one, wow. my son had uh, had iron in it. Oh, interesting. Well, I should, so should maybe that's what iron? you're seeing. The black stuff is the iron. <clears throat> no, no, you no. Know. It was there before we fertilized. Uh, okay. Hmm. All right. You're going to have to leave that with me. So the fertilizer you put on most recently, your son put on for you, you say it had iron in it. Was it um, like a turf, um, whatever it's called, turf it master, a, you know, Scots? Do you remember what it fertilizer was, it was? Yeah, it was a Scots, yeah, because we don't normally yeah. get Scots. We usually use uh, sylvite. Right. Okay, you know what? Leave that with me. It's it's pro- it's something that's going to be temporary, as far as I know. You I you know you can keep listening, and I'll see what I can provide in terms of information. Usually, when we have any particularly fungal diseases on a lawn, we do exactly what you did, which is to fertilize, and then the plant will outgrow the the disease. Um, many people swear by baking soda as a way to control for, uh, fungal diseases, but again, that's going to affect your pH, so you want to be careful. Maybe do, You may need to do a bit of a soil test to find out what's going on that's causing this, this issue, but like I said, leave it with me. I'll see what I can find and uh, report back. Okay. I remember a long time ago going to a uh, lawn seminar, and I just remembered uh, they advised using, you know, like your dish soap and yeah. water and that. And, uh, well, yeah, in the old days, I remember my grandma saying that she used to take her laundry water uh, with right. the soap and all that and throw it on, you know, and her her lawn was very, very healthy. Yeah, well, exactly. So, I mean, soap doesn't usually, soap or detergent doesn't usually control fungus, but you're absolutely right. I mean, um, because water can be a limiting factor for all of us uh, at different times of year, always <clears throat> throwing the water outside is important, whether it's fish tank water or dehumidifier or dish water, any of it. Um, soap is a good con- is obviously good for washing uh, the plants and sometimes will control insects, but it doesn't typically control fungus. But like okay, I said, yeah, leave that with me. Thanks thank for calling. So yeah, nice. thanks for the call there, Diane. Good, good, good luck have with a that. Very it's a good day. Uh, yeah. Yeah, frustrating, uh, Charlie. When um, when we've heard this before on the show, when people have uh, things that are healthy for decades, you know, trees, <laughs> lawns, and then all of a sudden something happens and it becomes rather bewildering. Exactly, because it's always a puzzle, right? It's you know, it's like going to the mechanic. You know, my car's making noise, <laughs> and then they, yeah. they they go, okay, well, leave it with me. We'll try and figure it out. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's obvious, but in this case, it's not that obvious, and that's a big lawn. But it. This is, you know, every season's a new season, and this one has been hot and humid, and even smoky. Gosh, you know what I mean? Like, it sounds like there is a sooty mold. I'm just wondering if maybe she's got that on her mm-hmm. lawn, but it won't. It won't be permanent. It's not going to kill the grass. The grass is going to outgrow the mold. Okay, uh, those numbers again to give us a call. Uh, lines are open. If you live in Toronto, four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Uh, anywhere else in the province of Ontario, it's toll-free by calling one 740 
four seven forty. Uh, Charlie, uh, enjoyed the show last week. Sorry, I couldn't be with you, but Paul, wonderful, yeah. uh, so knowledgeable. Urban Nature Store. Paul and, um, Oliver, he was great. Eh? I loved the way you called at the end of the show. <laughs> well, you know what? I had a genuine. It was a genuine question, and I thought. He will be able to uh, to answer that. And yeah. I did take advantage of that. I uh, hope the, the other the listeners did as well. I uh, went on to uh, his website and mm-hmm. put in that uh, code word cardinal, got myself my $10 gift card. Good. And then you maybe you'll get to an urban nature store. I did. I ran directly to my closest urban nature store with my gift card and uh, got some birdseed. And yep. also... Elliot received a beautiful pair of binoculars from the Urban Nature Store. And so Elliot, who it's just it's funny because he he was a um, what do we call it? like a desk jockey uh, yeah. for 30 years, you know, sitting on a computer in the in Queens Park. You know, just that was his world. He has become Mr. Mr. Outdoors, Mr. Naturalist. <laughs> so he's walking around. He's, he's barely barely taking the binoculars off when he goes to bed at night. He just he's got them with him at all times. And he's like, oh, look, I see a, you know, a northern thrush or whatever. He's like, I'm like, whatever. I'm busy. That is hilarious. <laughs> identifying birds. And, oh, he's having so much fun with the binoculars. They're just beautiful. So that it was really fun for Paul to come on the show. But, yes, love the gift card give, giveaway. Yeah, he's no, it's a great guest. It was fun to have him on. Okay, let's jump to another caller. We're going to Markham now. We have Elaine on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Elaine. Good morning. Yes, your previous caller kind of answered my question. Um, My daughter bought a new rose bush, and she's wondering about what kind of the best fertilizer for that. Okay, so at this time of year, well, at any time of year, I never fertilize plants when I'm planting them. I only fertilize established plants. So a brand new rose that's going into the garden, most important thing is the right location. So a spot with lots of sun, minimum six hours of direct sun every single day when the sun is shining. First, that's the first thing is get the right location with lots and lots of sun. Then when you start digging around where the rose is going to go, you must make sure that the soil is very good quality soil. So if you've got sandy soil or clay soil or rocky, whatever you've got, you can always amend. And I recommend you do amend where you're planting a rose. And again, it's with uh, composted manure, uh, good quality organic matter. So roses like a fertile soil, but they want it to be a well-drained soil. So make sure if there's a lot of clay that you're getting the clay out so that the rose will never just sit in water. And um, and that's the most important thing. Next spring, we talk about feeding with, with synthetic fertilizers, if you wish, but not when you're planting. Okay, not till spring. Is there a best fertilizer for next spring then? Um, well, I do generally use a rose food, and it's usually a granular rose food. It doesn't really matter who makes it. It's uh, it's just easy to put it on because you, you broadcast it on the surface of the soil in the spring. When you're doing your pruning and cleaning up of your roses is when I fertilize. And then when it rains, the, the fertilizer uh, eventually becomes soluble and goes down through the soil to the roots. So it's a spring. I only fertilize roses in the spring, and that's the only time. The other thing I should mention when you're planting a rose, if you have bone meal on hand, 
a handful of bone meal into the planting hole is always a nice idea because that oh. is pure phosphorus and that will encourage root growth right away. Oh, okay. That's wonderful. Okay. Thanks for the call, Elaine, and happy Canada Day. <laughs> uh, we are just going to pause for a few messages and we'll be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yeah, everything floral is right. It is the time of year. Things are popping up all over the place, Charlie. Oh, I love it. I love what it. This is is the, when, I was going to ask, what's the dominant popping up in your garden? Well, the roses are pretty happy with all this heat, that's for sure. <clears throat> Something that's popping up that we need to stop, though, is if you've planted garlic, if you planted garlic last fall, then, of course, the leaves came up in the spring, and now the flowers start to form. They're called garlic scapes. And mm -hmm. you, it's like a, a pigtail up on the top of the garlic plant, a little curly oh, yeah. bit. Those need to be cut off and, of course, used. Cook, you know, cook with them, put them in your stir fries, uh, you know, do whatever you wish in terms of eating them. But we, we remove them from the garden so that we maximize the size of the bulbs that we're going to harvest in a couple of weeks. Okie dokie. Yeah, the uh, garlic scapes. Are, 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 are they sort of around the same time as fiddleheads? They're sort of no, people. Fiddleheads talk, are early. They're earlier. Okay. Yeah, fiddleheads are the first fronds in the spring, right? That back okay. in April, uh, or you know, depending on where you are, but usually March or April. Uh, but yeah, no um, scapes. Garlic scapes are usually early July, well, or late June. Okay. Um, just a quick aside. I mean, I I don't yeah. have a definitive answer for Diane and her lawn question, but uh, quick little. Search here uh, very quick uh, refers to the combination of a disease called brown patch, intense heat, and dry soil as being something that can contribute to lawn grasses becoming black. So it's Diane's got a big lawn. It's not like she's likely out there watering it, <clears throat> but it is if the soil has become extremely dry, it is possible that between the heat and the dry that she may have a, a bit of a disease thing going on there. But uh, again, that's a really quick search. I'd have to look up, see what else is out there. Mm -hmm. Okie dokie. Okay, let's go to, uh, we're going to Scarborough now. We have Rhonda on the line. Rhonda's a first-time caller. Welcome to the Garden Show, Rhonda. Thank you very much. I have a question. Um, I have a vegetable garden, and I'm concerned about all the smoke in the air. Is it going to affect the vegetables that I have to eat? Is it going to mm. contaminate them? Uh. <clears throat> Good question. Um, <clears throat> is it going to affect it? I mean, yes, just like it affects us. You know, I mean, not that plants breathe, but plants do require air. And they do. Uh, it's one of the, you know, we know that plants need sun and water and food, but they also need air. So um, that mm -hmm. air in the form of a gas does enter the plant. And um, over time, of course, provides the growing ability for the plant but will that necessarily be a negative thing or will it accumulate to such an extent that you would worry about it being a negative thing i would say no uh i think yeah i mean the air quality is pro it's a, pr a bigger issue for animals 
animals, I would say, than it is for plants, uh, unless, you know, you're much closer to the fire where the heat is going to be a really big issue as well. But for, for our edibles, I wouldn't be overly concerned. Would it be a good idea to put maybe a tarp over it when we have extreme uh, smoke? I would say no, because a tarp is going to, the plant will suffer under the tarp far more than it would out in the air. Because remember, the air is moving, right? So it's, you know, it's always, a tarp is going to mean the air doesn't move and heat is going to build up under the tarp. So no, I wouldn't recommend that at all. Oh, that's good, because I'd want to take a bite of a tomato and worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I wouldn't worry. I mean, uh, like I said, it, it, the bigger issue for plants would be a heat uh, system that would kill the plants. But in terms of the smoke, et cetera, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's moving air. It's not sitting still. We've always got air movement. So it, it, the air is made up of so many different molecules. There's all kinds of things going on around the plant. So I wouldn't be concerned. Okay, thank you very much for answering okay. my question. Oh, and Rhonda, I want to give you your, uh, your you get your garden wings because you're yeah. a first-time caller. Welcome, welcome, don't be a stranger. Thank you, and happy Canada Day. Okay, let's go over to uh, Mississauga now. We have uh, Prakash on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show. Sorry, what is the name again? Is is it Prakash? Yes, that's me, yeah, okay. Hi, good morning. Um, uh, Charlie, I thank you for your advice on the beet plants that uh, you gave me uh, some months ago, and they're doing very well. But um, uh, there's something else to stand up. Uh, I need your help with the, the the leaves are looking quite healthy, but some of them have got a a beige, whitish uh, tinge to it, and they're dying. And I'm wondering what what I'm doing wrong. I've used uh, four 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 fertilizer every two weeks, and uh, I water them quite uh, well because I know they like the uh, spongy base. But uh, what's going wrong? So sorry, the plants are beans. You know, some of the leaves have turned a whitish beige. Not all of them, but every, not every every one, every one of the plants, or every other one, or every third plant has got this. One of the leaves has turned um, whitish beige, as, as though they're drying out or something like that. But they're not. They don't have that brown, dried out look. They're whitish beige. Okay. Yeah. So no, I understand that the leaves aren't looking good, but the plants that we're talking about are bean plants. No, they're they're, they're beet beet. Oh, beet, as in yeah. beets, B-E-E-T, beets? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, so beets, you know, it's again, it's probably environmental between okay. the heat and the lack of rain. You said you are watering pretty consistently, which is important. Do yeah. not water, like I'd avoid watering every day, but when you do water, water thoroughly because you want that root to grow, right? It's all about, you know, harvesting a nice big beet root. Um, The leaves aren't the most important part of the plant. We do eat beet greens when they're young, Mm -hmm. but after that, uh, you know, a few leaves with a little bit of, you know, not quite good looking, um, you know, sort of aesthetics to them, it's only a problem if all the leaves became white or yellow or, you know, not 
green because you need that green for photosynthesis. So I wouldn't be overly concerned. I mean, again, it could be watering uh, during the sunny part of the day, which can cause a bit of burning. It could be residue from the fertilizer. If you are fertilizing that consistently, you said every two weeks, you could be getting a little bit of a salt buildup on the plants or the soil around the plants. So make sure you're not over fertilizing. You're mixing according to the directions on the package. But yeah, I mean, if the, the actual plant and make sure they're not too close. If they're overcrowded, you're going to have issues. They've got to have space between them so that the you can maximize your, your harvest. Uh, yeah, it's one of the things I'm doing today or Elliot's going to do today is thinning the carrots because the uh, carrot seeds are always way too close together and you, they have to be, you have to go through and get rid of a bunch of them so that we can get good, good sized carrots in, in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, just make sure that those kinds of things have been looked after. And, of course, full sun is what you want to, uh, again, have the healthiest possible beet plant. So uh, if it's just a few leaves, remove them. If they're mostly yellow, remove. And you may decide to not compost those leaves. You may decide to just put those into a yard bag and have them removed from the property just in case there is something infectious on the leaves. Thank you very much. If you have a second, I'll tell you whether, what some advice you gave me that has worked. Um, in, in the earlier call, I complained about the sandy soil that I had. I was wondering where I'd get a source of clay. And you, you gave me the advice that you could use um, clay litter, which you can buy from a store. And I found a, a company that provided pure clay, you know. Yeah. And I used that right at the base, and uh, I also did a control experiment with a with a four by four lot that didn't have that. So now I've got yeah. two lots of beet growing, and I can tell you the one with the clay is doing so much better. You know, so that doesn't yeah. work. Oh, good. Yeah, so it's just that water holding. Yeah, good stuff. Oh, yeah, thanks so much for the call, Prakash. Happy Canada Day. Uh, yeah, have to you. take our last break, but we'll be back with much more on the Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yeah, here we are back for our last little segment of The Garden Show. And Charlie, let's get to our uh, what will be our last caller. We have uh, Earl on the line uh, from Ajax. And Earl, you are a first-time caller, is that correct? Yes, I am. Okay, well, I'm going to give you... Your garden wings, and happy Canada Day to you. Thanks, the same to you. Welcome to the show, Earl. What can I help you with? Thanks. So um, we have a wisteria that we've had for 20 years, and the base of it is about six to eight inches, and we've only had it flower maybe twice or three times, and when it flowers, it's like grapes hanging, purple yeah. grapes hanging. Beautiful. I don't know how to get that more often. Okay, it's all about the pruning. Okay. The thing about wisteria, wisteria grows very fast. And like you say, the trunk is just like a serious big tree trunk. Um, yep. And uh, it, they become very, very large. And one of the rules, of course, when we plant wisteria is we've got to make sure we have a structure for it to grow on, something very, very strong and sturdy because it's a long-term plant. This is a plant that can live for you know hundreds of years, frankly. And so it okay. needs to be growing on a very sturdy pergola. It's not just a little lightweight trellis or anything that we put our wisteria on. And you at know, the end of the day, 
pruning twice a year is the the common in order pruning for flowering because otherwise you end up with just a lot of green growth lots and lots of leaves also avoiding fertilizer at all times okay so how what what time of the year do we prune it and how how far back do we prune it huh. all right so first off we generally will do our first pruning in the spring uh, i'm just double checking here hmm let me just yeah so it um there's two, like I said, two times. One is uh, now, like spring, and the other is more later summer. Um, proper pruning will obviously help produce those spectacular, you know, cascading grapes of flowers uh, twice a year. So midsummer, a few months after flowering, and again in late winter or early spring before the plant leaves out is when you actually do your two different. But there's some, there's great stuff on the web about uh, wisteria. Just make sure you look up under Ontario. There used to be, I don't know if it's still on the web. It should be, though. There used to be a magazine called Canadian Gardening. There's a great magazine. It was around for years and years. And as all publications happen, it eventually stopped publishing. And they did a great step-by-step uh, -step how to grow wisteria, you know, sort of anywhere in Canada with uh, photographs, et cetera. And that was on the web. So just Google, you know, on wisteria, Canada, uh, pruning, and you'll get a real step-by-step -step of what to prune and when. But it is quite a responsibility to, to prune properly to maximize flowers. We're, we're committed, so we, we will do what we need to. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah so thanks. Take Thank a look and start sharpening your pruners. <laughs> All right. And thanks, so Thank much for, thanks so much for the call there, Earl. Yeah. And, and I don't mind I don't mind saying uh, that I'm a little envious of Earl. I love wisteria. I don't have any, but they are just gorgeous. I know, but like I said, you, you don't just put it on the side of your garage because your garage will collapse under the weight of the wisteria in 20 years. Really? So, Earl is committed. Like he said, he didn't tell us what he's growing it on, but he's he's doing something there. He's doing something right. So good for him. Yeah, they do have that beautiful sort of magical. I was when you were talking about it, I was looking up some pictures of it and like <laughs> it almost uh, like pathways where it's all dripping and you can go underneath it. It's just beautiful. <laughs> true. Very true. Yeah. So I, what's on the agenda today for you? Um, well, like I said, you know, I'm getting out there. I've got some cedars. I want to shear them, take the tops off, get them fat and juicy. Because remember, just like the clematis, if we take the tops off the cedars, they'll get thicker and denser. Um, there's that to do, always weeding to do. And if you're growing tomatoes and you're growing the tall, indeterminate tomatoes, remember, get those suckers removed, those little extra growths that come in the axles between the main and the leaves. We've got to remove the tomato suckers, again, to maximize our fruit. Thanks, Dean. Happy Canada it's, Day. Yeah, you too. Have a great day. And thank you, Carlos. Couldn't do any of this without you and the great callers. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.